Nicole, gbhbl.com, and this is Desert Island Dregs. Starting with um, yourself, Brian, introduce yourself, tell us what you're doing in a band. Hi, uh, so I'm Brian, I'm uh, the bassist in Worn Out, and hard to know what else to say that's, you know, relative to this, but yeah, <laughs> nice to meet then, you. Perfect. <laughs> and yourself, Alex? Yeah, hi, my name is Alex, I play guitar and do backup vocals, you could say, in Worn Out, uh, yeah. And I've been making music forever. <laughs> All right. So every question I throw at you, we'll start with you, Brian, first, and then you with Alex, so you both get a chance to answer them. And this is a really straightforward one. And even though we're only like two weeks into it so far, how has 2022 been treating you? Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so I started <laughs> off the year in COVID isolation. So I'd spent Christmas alone. Uh, but I actually love being in the house alone sometimes. <laughs> so yeah, just... Um, working flat out. I swapped from working nights for about 15 years to uh, work getting up for 6am rather than going to bed at 8am. So pretty much work and sleep and that's it. And trying to be productive, but lying about how productive I am to everyone else outside of work. Well, that's the way, isn't it? Um, when you say COVID isolation, you were sick. Yeah. So how, how did it treat you? Um, so I've never been too afraid of it. I was double vaxxed, so I wasn't too symptomatic. Um, it was, you know, I just basically had the mildest symptoms of all time, right when I was meant to go and see family over Christmas. So I didn't take the risk, got a PCR on Stephen's day and was positive. So it's a good thing I, you know, was cautious, but, um, wasn't too sick. I'm just fatigued. I was an hour late for practice one day cause I slept in. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to hear it wasn't too bad on you. I picked yeah. up what you said there, though, man. As a person that does night shifts every four weeks for a week straight, and I've been doing that for 19 years, it kicks my ass. You've been doing constant nights for 15. Yeah, just bars, restaurants. Even when I was working in a call center kind of environment, then it was night shifts working with Americans. But I switched to uh, dealing with Germans. Uh, Alex will tell you how difficult they are. So, uh, you know, just uh, up for 6 a.m. now for work instead, so... Just trying not to be too cranky and making sure if I wake up at 3 a.m., there's about 14 pounds of coffee in me and you're generally okay. Yeah, man. It's, I'll imagine it's going to take your body a, a fair bit of time to adapt. Oh, yeah. How about you then, Alex? 2022, have been treating you okay? It's, it's been pretty, pretty uneventful so far. Like um, before the new year, I went, flew over to Germany for the first time in years. So uh, it was actually like a really, really cool thing and a nice thing. Um, but yeah, 2022, just watching a lot of movies, playing a lot of video games, not making enough music, but I hope that's about to change soon since Brian is now back in full effect and we can actually practice again. Uh, but yeah, gladly I didn't catch COVID. So I'm, thank God, but if, I mean, I, we were just probably all bound to, to catch it sometime. Like You're right there. It's almost an inevitability uh, yeah. considering the state of the world. Yeah, just the big risk yeah. now is making sure it doesn't happen right before a gig because Murphy's Law, that's how it might go down. <laughs> yeah, yeah don't, don't jinx it, man. Don't jinx I'm it. I'm always wishing it on you when I had it just so we wouldn't miss gigs or practice. <laughs> <laughs> what do you make of um, the consistent and constant cancellation of so many big tours that are still continuing now into 2022? The next couple of months in the UK is already a bit of a shit show for cancellations yeah. and postponements. So yeah, I'm. Uh, I got tickets for to see Miss Sugar in June in Dublin, 
and uh, every day I just wait for the in inevitable like announcement. Yeah, we're gonna postpone this, and it's not gonna happen. And I mean, we're in year three, or almost in year three of the pandemic, and pro we should maybe get used to it now. But I, but I totally don't. Uh, I miss seeing bands that interest me. I miss playing shows. Mm -hmm. um, like we got to play one show in the entire time. Thank God. Uh, but yeah. It's hard. It's it's definitely hard for me and probably for, for everyone else too. Yeah, it's. I think we're in the bargaining stage of grief now because we pretty much know <laughs> gigs are going to be cancelled or postponed. Like this week was Emma Ruth Rundle was today. Cult of Luna was a day or two what? ago. See, look. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, yeah, I was, nah. I thought I'd see every time I die in a month's time, but they split up today. So, you know. Um, Not anymore. <laughs> wow. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, we're almost hoping for the best but expecting the worst with most gigs at this stage even our own gigs like we haven't played a proper launch gig for our ep yet um we've won later this month which you know will be going ahead just you know unless uh as long as Alec, well if you barricade yourself in that bedroom and don't get covid it'll happen but uh <laughs> well I, I didn't i didn't go to the office this week uh for obvious reasons of course <laughs> yeah but um you know, it's, it's the same for every band and every gig goer at this stage, you know. It's just, we, with second our gigs again, we need to support our scenes. It's the promoters that are probably hardest done by and the people working venues because they're the people that lived off it. And it was already thankless before all this, you know. Yeah, what, what's the state of uh, affairs where you are? I can only talk to the country I'm in in regards to support for grassroots venues, promoters, everyone behind the scenes, and it's not been pretty. Has it been better over there? I, yeah, I suppose I'll take this one. It's this, the entire scene in Ireland is essentially a DIY setup. I mean, it's completely contact space. Uh, you've got maybe five, I suppose, cities or main, main towns in the country that you can play. And the venue situation then can be very ropey. Um, at the moment, you've got the likes of the guys that run the Siege of Limerick. Um, a few UK bands have played before, like the likes of Conjure recently. They've been working fairly tirelessly. They put on streaming gigs throughout. Um, but we were able to play Belfast last in the UK, just with the, well, UK, Ireland, um, with the relaxed kind of, you know, guidelines up there, but we have no idea what's happening here. Say our own, I suppose, adopted hometown of Cork, we have a gig booked, but it's anyone's guess is as good as ours when that venue is reopened and, you know, where the light lay of the land is. Come spring, we'll be better able to plan, you know, mm. but it's... Whack-a-mole. Every time you've solved one problem, another problem like yeah, happened I, elsewhere. And now all the gigs are backed up as well, you know, that were postponed from last year. And I also feel like, especially in Cork, like we had we had a couple of like really cool venues. And uh, I know, um, what was it called? The Path, the, mm. the Path shut, shut down. I don't, I don't remember the name right now that Dally. I had in the Path. The Dally, yeah. Mm. The Kino shut down. Um, then... Of course, there's threats, but God knows, like, when and if this reopens, like, yeah, it's dire. It's, it is, yeah. it is. It's not pretty. It's not pretty um, in any country. A lot of countries the same as over here. I can't really, uh, I'm not in that, like, behind the scenes, but I don't know enough to know that uh, it's all, regardless of whether, when bands can play, it's about what venues will still be open when we actually get to that bloody stage. Mm. Overall, though, worn out. 
do you think you've kind of weathered the storm? Now, obviously, we're not out of this pandemic yet, but we are in a better position these days in January 2022 than we were in, say, January 2020. Um, do you feel like you've kind of come out this end stronger for it? You've learned a lot. You've picked up on things. Yeah, I think so. Um, I feel like the past two years have been, of course, hard on anyone, but also hard on us as a band. There were some times where we couldn't do anything at all. We haven't seen each other for some time stretches and mentally it felt like, are we actually in a band? Mm. Is, is, is this band still a thing while we were sitting on, on like a finished product on, on a finished EP that we recorded in 2019. And yeah, it was really hard for us to sit on this and just making the plan, you know, we release this when we can actually support this. And um, yeah. Yeah, like we, like say, even like Seven would be a very driven guy and he's very about live gigs. So I'd say it was kind of particularly tough on him and the band. Um, we tried to stay productive, but realistically, when most of your band engagement is just spreadsheets and how much is it going to cost us this month and we'll print this and all of us was the business end of the band without just hanging out with your mates and writing a few tunes, remembering why you love it in the first place. Yeah it can take a toll. Um, it's a bit chicken egg if we're better off or not, because we would have had the EP out a while ago and maybe had more time to write more material. We don't know where it would end up, but I mean, we could have also fallen out because we're seeing more of each other and split up. You never know. But um, we're in a better place than I think we ever have been. Even just, I suppose, COVID taught a lot of people how to communicate better because um, you were forced through a lot of meetings and all of these things. So you picked up work tricks to not being an asshole to your bandmates all the time, you know, all the it's, time. It's interesting that you, you <laughs> say like it's created better communication because there's an argument that suggests that being forced to basically jump on Zoom meetings in bands or just in general life and having to use and contact each other via WhatsApp and so on is more disconnected than obviously meeting up in person. Yeah, definitely. Um, like Alex and myself are well able to kind of work on logic projects and kind of write and record from home, I suppose, and share it. So that that's great. But for the other two guys in the band, it would cause a disconnect because, I mean, for the likes of Evan, you know, he can't practice his drums all the time or he couldn't all the time. He couldn't really feel engaged when writing. So, you know, it's, it's not like we can just kind of force creativity. It's a muscle you have to, to work out. Um, for his part, he's gone up and just practiced on his own and he's a better drummer than when we went into lockdown now. But it does cause a disconnect for even getting a good flow of songwriting. Mm. Um, and Xander can't exactly practice screaming vocals in his bedroom, you know? All right, guys, we're going to talk about wasting a little bit, but let's get the first nomination out of the way then. Now, the reason why you have a choice, be it books or games, is simply put, we quickly learned in the very early days of these style of interviews that not everybody actually plays games, or they did when they were kids and have forgotten everything these <laughs> days. So we threw in books as well, because a lot of people tend to read. So... Um, whoever wants to go first, whichever category they want. Yeah, um, I think we're more like, I, I, I don't know about Brian, but I don't read that much. I read very, very rarely and I play a lot of video games. And like during the pandemic, dur during the whole pandemic, I kind of I pulled Brian into, into my realm uh, when, when we started to, to play Bloodborne. Uh, <laughs> like he wasn't too keen or I don't know if, if you if you were keen on those games but I'm, I'm a huge fan and yeah we just sat here and said you know what let's play it in co-op and I basically pulled his ass uh, to get a platinum trophy in this game 
it's one of the best games ever in my opinion <laughs> yeah I um that was actually one of my choices as well just because I knew it. it was framed like desert island things and re- replayability the ability to replay it knowing the levels inside out with different approaches um I'd mentioned to you I was thinking of taking it up or starting it and you were like mm. oh yeah you, he basically sharpened me through it showed me how it works and completed my, my myself the second time around got that, that got that platinum within lockdown <laughs> <laughs> But also, also very funny about this like experience when we both were playing Bloodborne. Like I'm super deep into the whole lore thing of this game, and I'm always explaining. Oh yeah, this character here, the lore behind him is this and this and this. And Brian is basically, well, yeah, I actually don't care. I just want to play the <laughs> I, game. <laughs> I just wanted to hit things. Like you know, I was there trying to dodge attacks. Like and, you know, he's there telling me, oh that guy, yeah, his great grandfather hurled for Tipperary. You know, <laughs> play football for Millwall. <laughs> Amazing. All right, what's your second choice then? You want to go? Um, no, you go to your second there. All right. Second, get, uh, my second one is uh, well, I'm like, like beside the Dark Souls games and, and Bloodborne and whatnot, uh, I'm super heavy into sci fi stuff, especially mm. like the Halo games and just, just like like the example for, for all the Halo games. Oh, Halo yeah. Infinite. Yeah. And it's uh, again, the, the lore is pretty deep. You wouldn't think of it uh, from, from a first-person shooter that's about, like, a green guy in a power armor shooting aliens, but it's actually very, very, very deep. Uh, like, the whole world building, the whole lore behind it. And also, the gameplay loop is just mad fun. It's punching, throwing grenades, and sh- shooting weapons, all on very, very cool design levels, you know? Are you one of the original Halo players back in Absolutely. the day? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I started okay, three on yeah. that um, yeah and I played Reach I loved it too and like even the lore is amazing because you're used to games like Doom where it's like a nameless character but I mean there was an Animatrix style movie called Halo Legend that was yeah. really well fleshed out um, yeah Ooh, that's, cool. just a, that's just the tip of the iceberg man <laughs> what's your thoughts then on this uh, upcoming TV series Amazon series I'm really torn on this. Like, um, like I talked about about this with a friend recently, and he said, "Oh, it needs to be gritty. It needs to be very dark and everything." And I'm like, "Yeah, I don't know." Like, Halo Four and Five try to be try to be serious and try to be gritty, and it just doesn't suit the the universe because there's always some some hope in it, some heroism, and also some comedy. And what I've seen so far from from the show is more like it's going to take itself too seriously so but we haven't seen much so i don't know yeah Let's take like, it as it comes like i know they developed it originally during the 90s but it first came out like post i suppose 9 11 and the idea of fighting a religious covenant you know i think the game was allowed to go dark enough places that it was allowed to be a bit light and use bright pastel colors without getting too into lore yeah if, if you want the lore it's there but otherwise you can just shoot your way through it yeah yeah um, what was is, was that your second one as well, Brian? Have you got something else? No, I just love talking. Ah. <laughs> well, what's your second one then? Well, uh, suppose my second one uh, is The Last of Us. Oh, right, yeah, that's that's a good one, yeah. Like I'm, I'm replaying it at the moment. Um, I think the narrative's like infinitely playable. Uh, a lot of games run the risk of nostalgia versus you know you go back and replay it. And does it match expectations? But if the art direction's good enough. 
it doesn't matter if it's the newest, shiniest graphics. I know they're remaking it now, or there's rumors of it anyway, but I don't really think it needs anything. Maybe the turning circles could be better or the stealth or the shooting mechanics, but I really don't want them touching any of the narrative, the acting, the art direction, really, even, you know? It's just pretty much a perfect game. Say something that's getting a HBO series rather than just a bad movie spin-off, you know? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I can't remember what is that getting. Is it is it getting a movie or a or a series? Oh, that, I know I've that's, heard that's something. Actually, that's actually uh, a series. And yeah. uh, Pedro Pascal is playing Joel, so so the guy that played the Mandalorian. Pretty pretty curious uh, how this will turn out because I don't see Joel when I see him. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's I suppose I do trust the um, the HBO people. Like say it's the guy that show on Chernobyl and. If you're going to do something that's pretty much a rip-off of Corner Carthy the Road, you might as well get that guy. Like, just a perfectly formed miniseries. Hmm. Um, I just hope they don't embellish too much, because I think the story is pretty much... Like, the ending has to stay. I can't spoil it, but the ending needs to stay the same way. Yeah. Oh, it can be I mean, spoiled. The game's bloody old. If you don't know don't know <laughs> by now, and you play games, you're really, really doing something wrong. <laughs> I mean, there's one thing about The Last of Us, the, the, the TV show, that gives me really hope, because um, Neil Druckmann, who works for Naughty Dog, he wrote the the story and all he is basically the director and i think at this point he's also the ceo of uh naughty dog uh he actually is directing the tv show so okay could That's turn awesome. out good but that's just a glimpse how much of a nerd I am. <laughs> <laughs> what about what about the sequel, though? Do you hold a sequel in as high regard as the original or is it just one of yes. those where it's like it's not quite as good? Yeah. I think it's better gameplay. Uh, you're not having to drag ladders around for half the game. And um, <laughs> like, realistically, it's people might not like the storyline, but you have to respect, I suppose, the storytelling behind it. It's, you know, it's a little bit nail on the head, I suppose, like on the, on the nose, the whole message behind it. You can kind of see where they're going within like three hours into a pretty long game. But, you know, it holds up. For, like, if the first game hadn't existed to make expectations, this would have been seen as a masterpiece. Ah, that's definitely. Cool. Yeah, yeah. All right, third choice, third and final choice, then, Alex. All right. Um, I need, I need to, I need to track back a little bit about the third choice. Uh, like, I've been playing games for my entire life, and mm -hmm. this is actually a really, really big part of my life. And I'm super into Metroidvania games. Um, for example, Super Metroid. I think again one of the absolute 100% best video games ever made. And I think uh, Metroid Dread is, is fucking good. It's probably my favorite game of the last year. Uh, took everything that Super Metroid had, uh, the intricate level design. Sometimes it shuts you out of like certain areas and uh, introduce some new stuff like the Emmys. And they are like, you're dreading, haha, you're dreading fighting them. <laughs> and they're really tough to get through. And I... I died maybe more times than I would admit. admit. <laughs> Considering you just said it, Metroidvania, that style became a genre in its own. Why what? Why is it a bit? Because that style has been aped and copied by just about every indie game going up to this point. And then Metroid, mm. this one comes out and obviously doesn't just nail it, but is seen as a classic modern game. What is it that everyone else is failing to do that this game gets right, do you think? It's probably... Um, this is something that Dark Souls, which in my opinion is also at least the first one, some kind of a Metroidvania game. Hmm. Um, it's more the environmental storytelling. Sometimes it's just like 
why is there this base here? Why is there this laboratory here? Um, and it just tells you what was going on there just through the environments, maybe also guides you through it. And a lot of the, I would say, indie Metroidvania games, they replicate like the gameplay. They replicate the level design, like how the levels are built, how they are stacked on top of each other. But they're oftentimes really failing to... Uh, have some environmental storytelling. And I think this is one thing where Metroid exceeds, where Dark Souls exceeds. And this is why I'm so in love with these games. I have to yeah. ask as well, were you at any point, would you, have you been a fan of uh, specifically doing Metroid, the changes, the ones that um, went uh, first person shooter style? Yeah, I thought they were great. I think yeah. this is probably the best way on how to do a 3D Metroid. Um, I mean, they totally goosed it afterwards with Metroid Other M. Um, that was just a shit show. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Metroid Prime, um, absolutely sick. Um, I think this is this was probably the only reason for me to buy GameCube back in the day. Ah, yes, of course, of course. Right. Code Veronica as well, I suppose. Um, oh, okay. There was Dreamcast. There was Dreamcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah I got older school for that oh. first. I got it for, on a second-hand GameCube. That's the only reason. Right. Ah. Yeah. Well, of course, um, it releases. Yeah. Um, what's your choice then, Brian? My last choice would have been the first Metal Gear Solid, but I just realised that gameplay wouldn't really hold up now. Um, so I'd say Dead Space, the first one, or the second. Yeah. Give me either, I'd be happy. Yeah. Second, more action. It's it's Aliens compared to Alien, I suppose. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely like one of those games. I'm looking forward to seeing how this remake happens, like works out. I'll go with the remake, I suppose, if you ask me in a few months' time. Um, if I get a second controller, I'm going to add a fourth. If I get a second controller on this hypothetical desert island, and if Alex is stuck with me, FIFA, just to wreck his head. I'd make a challenge. He's from no, Northland, and he no. doesn't like football, which means you must really hate football. So I just yes. see how that goes down. If our only co-op game is FIFA, <laughs> you can play. So you happy. can completely play it on your own. Then I'm never going to touch a controller with FIFA. <laughs> no, no FIFA game will go into any of my consoles ever, ever, ever. I have to ask them, Brian, you said Dead Space 1 and 2, but you left out 3. Considering 3 <laughs> is the real co-op game as well. Uh, there is no Dead Space 3. Okay, how much it pissed me off. I, I think this, that kind of showed the death knell of, like, say, um, proper... Having faith in a studio, like, say, being allowed to make a horror game or something that's challenging for a player. It, they all became action games or Gears of War light, like a lot of that generation were, just cover shooters. And all the suspense was gone because even if we weren't playing co-op, there was an AI character. The dark settings were gone, so you lost all that suspense of like what's around the corner. Uh, it just took away a lot of what made those games unique or interesting and just turned it into just another cover shooter. That's what I thought anyway. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you've nailed it. It's that's a review, man. <laughs> you put out words on the site. It's great. Um, no, guys, that's amazing, amazing. Right, we've got some more questions then. We're going to throw out some interview questions specifically about waste, really, because, of course, this is your EP released December 3rd, 2021. So we are, what, over a month away since release. Um, overall, how have you found the reaction to it? Considering the dust has settled now, we've entered 2022, people have had more than enough time to consume it. What's your general feel of the reaction to it? You want to take this first? Um... I suppose I was doing most of the talking for a while, so I was going to let you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah. Um, so, like, the reception from what I've heard, at least, it's been pretty great, actually. Um, like, 
actually haven't heard anything negative about it, which is mm. which is really great to me because um, there's a lot of fighting in this EP that we had while we were writing it. Um, there were a lot of discussions on what we should do, and I'm now really, really happy on how it turned out with just the songs, the artwork, and then people like straight up telling me, you know, uh, just just telling me, hey, I've been listening to this like nonstop since you put it out. This means the world to me. Like we didn't do it for anyone else. Like I only do music to to entertain the four of us who are in the band, but just seeing, okay, we. I feel like we did something right here and people really seem to enjoy it. It's just, it's, it's freaking awesome. Yeah. Like one thing about sitting on it for so long without being able to release it was when you first write or release something, you're plagued with kind of self-doubt and did we make the right decision? I think that melted away as lockdown went on just, uh, or the longer we waited because it's became less about the release really. It was just, what do I think of it? Because if you're sitting on it for so long, you really do start to poke holes in it. I ended up much happier with the end product, but I realized as well, like we're just writing for ourselves. We don't know if the end product's going to be good or if we sound very like another band we haven't heard of, or, you know, we might get a lot of, you could get four out of 10s, you get six out of 10s. But once we're happy with it, that's, that's where we need to be. We're already thinking about the, what the next song is and what the, you know, where we're going, I suppose, because this is old to us. Yeah. But getting a good reception does mean we feel like we're on solid footing, you know, just a bit of progress, yeah. I suppose. You know, that stepping stone didn't sink on the way to the next one. Good analogy. It's interesting. We've mentioned this a couple of times that you've been sitting on this for quite a while. So that always raises the question, particularly when we're talking to a band and artist about the latest release, is that it's old news for you. When it's released, upon release, and it's out there in the world and you, you're getting some feedback and so on, does, does, did that refresh it in your mind and re-excite you, re-energize you for what you were, what you had created? Yeah, at yeah. least... Uh, well, I know Evan said the same thing, like our drummer, he said the same thing. Uh, at one point, he was so sick of the songs, uh, but he just stepped away from it. Like, it wasn't part of him anymore. And after a couple of months, he got back to it and said, you know what, I'm actually starting to enjoy this again. I'm actually starting to like this again. It's the same for me. There were some times where, where I was like, you know, I actually don't care anymore. If we put it off, if we don't put it out, fuck it. Like, I really don't care. Um but when we ramped up like the, all the efforts to the release, I've been listening to it more and more again. I was like, you know what? I, actually, I'm, I'm really happy with how this turned out. And I think it's a good thing for us that we actually detached ourselves a little bit from it because it was freaking two years. Mm. And after two years, it doesn't feel it, it's your own anymore. It feels more like someone else's like body of work, you know? Yeah. Like that was all written and recorded within like Alex's first seven or eight months in the band, you know? Um, so, you know, we, we moved on from it almost. There was a great sense of catharsis when it came out because it was just hanging around our neck and it was just kind of burdensome conversations about how much this vinyl pressing costs and costs and, you know, planning, but you're not really having the fun part. But once it's out, that's it. It's just, it belongs to everybody else now and we're able yeah. to kind of move on. And our first practice back was, you know, I actually properly enjoyed playing the songs. It wasn't just going through the motions then. Yeah, and I feel like there, there were some times where it felt more, hey, we're a business, we're not a band. And now we're getting to be a band again. <laughs> the non-rock and roll side of being in a band sucks, man. <laughs> yeah. What have you learned, or do you think you've learned, from working, writing, recording this EP to now? 
what do you think you picked up on that you would certainly either do going forward or wouldn't do going forward? Yeah, one one thing that's always in my head when I when I think about this EP, when we talked about how we want to release it, I said, let's not do vinyl, let's just do a digital. Thank God nobody listened to me because <laughs> um, just just a year later, I'm I'm a vinyl collector now myself, and I'm thinking, thank God you don't you didn't listen to me. Thank God you wanted to do some vinyl because otherwise, right now I would be pretty pissed at myself, you know. <laughs> We'd be in a one-year waiting queue, like a queue for it. And by then we'd be like, oh, we're so past this, but we bother doing it, you know? <laughs> I'm glad that worked out. I mean, it's no secret, obviously, you can read the review over the site, but I was a big fan of this EP, hitting me right at the end of uh, 2021 after a year of, we counted, we over 800 records reviewed throughout 2021. And then right at the end, you have this sneaking in. So it was awesome, awesome job on that, guys. Thanks, man. Thanks, the association man. with hardcore, brings certain connotations um you know as crux you're a hardcore band and that brings me about okay you're angry you're furious you're spitting teeth you've got things you want to say on this ep do you think you expelled anything specific that you had in your mind and this was you talked you used the word cathartic a little while ago about the release but what about just getting these stuff out musically not for me i'm incredibly well adjusted oh right, awesome <laughs> <laughs> that's a lie that's a lie we're, we're we are all not like um now, I think there is some cathartic quality to it, but that's, well, of course, I, I wrote most of the guitar stuff on, on the CP. And for me, like when I write, it's always like coming from feeling and how I feel and what, mm. I, what I want to put out. It's more, it's not so much, oh, I stockpile riffs or I go into it with, with a plan or whatever. It's just like I write what I feel. And yeah, this has been cathartic to me, um, but still... I feel like I can be more cathartic in the future. Like there are some ideas floating around right now that excite probably all of us like, like, like very much. And uh, I think this EP is a cool first step into this direction. Yeah. Like I feel completely the same as Alex. Like, um, you know, I do feel like say with heavy music, uh, I think it was somebody made a point to me lately and I'm just going to steal their quote. I can't remember who it was. So sorry, whoever I'm doing it to. But your first time of ever hearing a band you thought was very heavy. And as you get a little bit desensitized, you're always chasing that next thing that feels heavy. You're looking for that feeling again. Uh, but there's different kinds of heavy. I mean, there's acoustic things. There's lyrics that are heavy. There's hip hop. There's drum beats. So, and you'll always have that thing where you get sick of maybe hearing something in your style so you're changing things up. So I do enjoy interacting with other people and seeing what our shared idea of heavy is. And mm. if you're throwing a curveball, because I might play something that's quite melodic, but to me makes it all gel together. Or you might play something lower tuned or even higher tuned. And whatever's heavy in the moment, there's no real set rules. We're just trying to get some form of feeling or idea across in our heads that doesn't sound awful to the rest of the bandmates. We'll just see and explain. I think it's worth noting as well that there is... And considering it's a four-track EP, there is variety on this because for me personally, I see quite a gulf difference between, say, Blind Eye and Force of Habit. You talk about heavy, like the heavy side of things. That's why I lean to with Force of Habit, where it was a Blind Eye. I almost, dare I say, for a hardcore band, hey, put this one on the radio. This will work. Okay, cool. that's a, that that surprises me actually. I think this is, I mean, that's a, just of my perception. I think. Blind Eyes is a pretty heavy song, actually. Like, there are the most, mo at least for me, like the most technical parts from the entire EP in there. 
Oh, there's no argument about it being heavy. There's no <laughs> question about it. You are talking about four tracks of pure chaos. But mm-hmm. I, when I think of like a modern, um, a modern audience that perhaps doesn't always listen to a specific style of music and gels and put, puts on a Spotify playlist, as it were, and mm-hmm. goes, this is what I'm going to listen to. And you kind of want one track from a band on there that might grab their attention. That's where Blind Eye comes in for me. Ah, right. Now, yeah. now I got you. Yeah. Like, I suppose some of that comes from, um, like, Blind Eye was the first song that was written with Alex in the band, mm-hmm. and he'd come in with a riff, but I suppose either through a lack of me being good enough or having played that style enough in the last while before and, like, being warmed up with it, I, if he was playing something very, I suppose, mathcore or very, like, general escape plan influenced or these kind of bands, I maybe either didn't have the chops or else I felt the need to balance out things with a bit of melody. So you might try and, you might hear a bit of a hooky thing now and again uh, through a bit of weirdness. So... For Alex, when he's playing and with bad monitoring on stage, he's just hearing the most aggressive thing in the world. Whereas to me, I'm like, oh, here's some melodic chorus bit and bass. So, you know. Yeah, like like Brian is the guy for the hooks. I'm the guy for uh, no hooks. <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. All right, guys, next nomination. This is always my favorite one personally. It's the horror movie section. Um, so I do hope you both have seen horror or watch horror regularly. Because uh, I do like the quizzy about it. So who wants to get us started with this one? I'll go with you again first, Alex, just to see uh, if I can rip. Because if, if you get, get a really good one, I can just say, oh, I thought the same. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, well, let, let me think about this. Um, one of my favorite horror movies in recent years is uh, probably Midsommar. I would like hold up like a like a physical copy if they would be a thing with movies anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, this is, I wouldn't say it's like a horror movie, like in a classic classical sense, but it's more like the, the whole atmosphere. There's something menacing the entire time. Just how the movie starts off. It's, even though it's so, so, so grounded in reality and grounded like in, in, in like a, I would say pre- pretty, in a community, like, like in, a, in a pretty far out community, there's something unsettling going on like all the time, like the entire movie. And it, I, th- I feel it really hit me. Like, spoilers if you haven't seen the movie yet. There's this is one scene um, where, like, the old people, they just say, you know what? I had my life, so I'm going to walk up on this cliff and jump down just to kill myself. And it's been so gruesome and it's been so detailed. And I was actually sitting in this exact spot writing some stuff for, for, for a side project of mine, had this movie on playing guitar, seeing this, and I stopped playing guitar, my jaw just the front was like, what the hell? Mm. And I just put the guitar away and watched the movie and was like, this, this is insane. Like, this this really got to me. So yeah, Midsummer. I know good what shout. Yeah. Yeah, good shout. It's a movie that I feel like you're basically sitting uncomfortably throughout. Yeah. You're just constantly uncomfortable. What do, you, yeah. uh, what do you make of the argument, though, that it can be quite pretentious? Yeah, I I see that. Like, I totally understand. And I think Ari Asa, the the director of the movie, he has some some like he is a little bit like that. I mean, even if you think about her, uh, Hereditary, like the the I think it's his first movie. Yeah, that was yeah. actually my uh, third choice. So. Oh really? <laughs> They're going anyway. <laughs> yeah, like we complete each other, man. <laughs> oh. It's gonna be a good desert island. Yeah, definitely. We just we just leave Evan at home. <laughs> Uh, he, Evan can come. Um, so yeah, I think I think Ariasa, he's a little bit uh, pretentious from from time to time. 
but I think it f- suits the the kind of movies that he makes very very well. So sure, let's be pretentious. If if the end result is as good as Midsummer, I'm all for it. Completely fair. Love that. Brian, you said Hereditary was one of yours. You might as well go straight into it. Yeah, <laughs> I suppose I'll split my order anyway, and then I'll forget my my other two. No, no, no spoilers, um, please. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, that's, that's well. Then watch it tonight. Um, so the like, I don't agree at all with him being pretentious, but I think it's just like a fresh perspective and movies that have. And it's one of the reasons, actually, one of my Desert Island, I suppose, watches would be replayability. You can watch it and it's a little bit layered and it's a little bit like there's a definite degree of body horror, um, hereditary, a lot of like really interesting imagery. But I think just for modern filmmaking, I suppose, like say, you know, I hate numbered sequels or just like another James Wan conjure ripoff. Like Hereditary just brought up some very interesting themes about like say family and brought in a bit of the occult. There's just, you know, you always have these scenes that stick with you. Like say, even if you were young watching a movie and you see a horror movie, there's always like one, the best movies have that one scene that stick in your mind for a while afterwards. Like think that bit of Nightmare on Elm Street where he's got the long arms or all of that. Like Hereditary's got four or five sections that are like properly memorable. Yeah. Like, so I think, yeah, it's just like, it's kind of a modern classic, I suppose. And we don't have too many of those when it's just another Halloween remake. Yeah. No, well said. It's interesting, though, picking up on what you said at the start about replayability. Now, surely, I mean, is there not an argument as well for the likes of Hereditary? And I guess it applies to Midsummer as well which is that those are movies that you watch once and then stand back and have to almost take the time to let it seep into your mind and spend a couple of weeks thinking about it before you rewatch. Yeah, like I went straight onto YouTube and like looked up some some summaries of what this movie is actually about. Mm. And uh, I like for Midsummer. And when I watched it again, I noticed so many little details that I didn't notice before. Like the scenes when they're just walking like past some trees and all of a sudden if you pay close attention, you see like the faces of the parents in the trees, uh, like, like from the main character, I can't remember her name now. Um, yeah, just stuff like this. And yeah, replayability, just like maybe a little bit like Fight Club, which is also a movie. If you watch it for, for the first time, it's great. And it's like a very, very cool plot twist. But if you don't then watch it again, it's like, oh yeah, this all makes sense now. Mm. I, I get it now. And I think this is a little bit the same with Midsummer. Can't talk about Hereditary yet. So watch it before practice because I'm going to talk to you about it tomorrow. <laughs> um, All right. Cool. All right, Brian, uh, go on. You go with your second one before we jump out of Alex. Cool. So my second would have been um, Alien. I suppose it tied into my Jesus death. Christ. This was my second one too. Brilliant. <laughs> Both uh, well, actually, I tell you what, I can flip it around even then. Tell you what. Right. We'll, we'll share Alien, uh, but part of why I love Alien is um, it's down to the art direction. Wow. And it's the idea of foreboding again, I suppose just take everything I said about Dead Space earlier and just apply it to this, <laughs> you know, and I'll save you the time. But, you know, there's an argument for like a well-designed character and the wondering what's around the corner and the idea of vents and enclosed spaces and all of that, that... You know, we're just past, there's a certain era in cinema when they used to do, like, say, creature design far better than they do now when it's all CGI. Look at Terminator. That could be argued as one of the best horror movies of all time just because of the actual character design in it. It's an action movie, but, yeah, Alien speaks for itself. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's probably one of the most, probably the one horror movie that comes up the most from across all bands. Everyone tends to choose Alien. Uh, I've got a question about it, but Alex, you got any thoughts mm-hmm. you want to add considering yours is there as well? Yeah, I think, um, and I always say, I think Alien is one of the greatest horror movies ever made, while I think Aliens is one of the greatest action movies ever made. Um, and why I love the Alien series so much, because they're actually among my all-time favorites, um, just the feeling of isolation, the feeling of you are alone out there. Uh, you are just with, and it's just one creature that's hunting you down. Um, it's 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 just very very well executed. Also, the effects for the time, they're insane. Um, man, I just love this movie so much. And also, just to tie the knot with with the Metro games again, Alien is actually. The, the single biggest influence on Metroid ever being made. So at least to me, that makes sense. Like if, if you play Metroid, if you watch Alien, there are so many similarities. You have like a female lead character, uh, like in isolation somewhere, somewhere in space. Yeah, of course. Okay, it's no surprise a lot of bands you're saying uh, to bring on have Alien because Hator Geiger's art direction and the entire movie, pretty much every band, like album or ep cover has been somewhat influenced you know yeah. many many of them anyway yeah oh for sure now i'm not going to even bother asking the whole of the which is better alien aliens it's more because as you said i think you nailed it there when you said great horror, best ho- brilliant horror movie brilliant action movie but what about afterwards now you say you're a big fan particularly this is towards you alex uh, mm. being a big fan of this series we're talking about alien free we're talking about alien resurrection we're talking about prometheus and onwards how do you feel about the direction Ooh. the franchise has taken? It's still, still hurting a little bit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think um, Alien 3 is super underrated. Uh, I mean, you, you, can, you can really tell that they had some difficulties like in the process of making this movie. Sometimes it feels a little bit half-baked and half-assed, but still the premise is actually pretty interesting to me. And I feel also like in the last couple of years, a lot of people came around to actually giving the movie the credit that it deserves. And I think Alien 3 is actually, it's, it's up there with the first two, at okay. least in my opinion. And I probably a lot of people will say, like in the comments, ah, you're completely wrong, this movie sucks. No, I think it's great. But everything after that, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, Alien Resurrection is it's, it's just, just an atrocity. I think Prometheus had some, some cool ideas. But what I really didn't like about Prometheus was it took so many things that even Ridley Scott, like, set in stone and set in uh, commenta- in the commentary for the first early movie. And yes, I'm the person that watches the commentary. Uh, <laughs> um, and he just, just, just throws all of that away, like the whole origin from the aliens, and just replaces it with something entirely different. Um, just just leaves a bitter bitter taste in my mouth. I think Alien Covenant is a little bit better, but it's nowhere near as good as the first three movies. I think the idea of horror sequels kind of it's a snake eating its own tail anyway. Like a lot of horror exists in like what's unknown or unexpected or new, and mm-hmm. there's a bit of shock value. And when you have Jason's back a sixteenth time, there's no real stakes to killing him a seventeenth time. Like he'll be yeah. back for another sequel, you know. Right, you've done this, you've mentioned this twice now, you've brought up sequels twice, Brian, so I'm going to ask you to stand up and name, give me one horror sequel that you do actually like and think, yep, that's not necessarily better than the original, but a strong maybe. 
Aliens. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a horror movie. That's an action movie. I'll cheat. I'll, I'll give you a remake that worked. Okay. Um, yeah, so The Ring. The Ring worked mm. as, a sequ- as a remake of a Japanese movie. Uh, maybe the grudge didn't work so much like Juwan was amazing for like say Japanese I think Japanese horror is amazing mm. but The Ring was a great introduction for western people to Japanese style horror and real shock imagery and for everybody being screen addicted like we all are um, the idea of somebody coming out of your screen memorable you know I never seen it like that you're dead on right just just imagine like a maybe not a remake but a new ring movie like set in our time jesus christ i think that did that with the movie that, that just was shit so. ah. it's called rings from 2019 i think 2019 or 2020 and it is not good yeah ah. that's, that's that's my opinion you know some people might love it <laughs> I, right. I find it really interesting what you said there because i really don't like the ring remake because i kind of hold that responsible for the slate of uh remakes that followed it to do with j horror so dark water the eye all of these classic J horrors that I loved. And then I watched these horrible remakes and it's like, that's the ring's fault. <laughs> yeah. Like the grudge remake didn't really work at all. Like Juwan, mm. the original one was great. Um, but I do feel like the ring got a lot of the idea across and for the Western audience, it was a great introduction. But like I said, horror works well the first time around. Once you start to tell somebody I'm going, I might be behind, hiding behind the door, the shock body is gone, you know? Yeah. One more left then, guys. Um, Alex, go on. What's your last one? Yeah. Um, well, this was actually hard for me to pick. Like, I, if, if, if you ask me tomorrow, it will probably be a different movie because there are, like, like a couple movies that I just juggled around, but I'm really feeling Hellraiser lately, like the first Hellraiser movie. Um, it's just very unsettling. Like, the entire time through, I just purchased, like, the, the whole series in, in, in the iTunes movie store recently. And rewatch them all, and yeah, they get worse and worse the longer the series goes on. But especially like the first couple of movies, and especially the first one, that's just something uh, unsettling about like a body just coming back to life, some somewhere somewhere in the attic of a house, and just uh, then tells, "Hey, kill people." <laughs> yeah. What what was that? The first was that your first viewing, or was this was that a movie you saw when you were younger? No, actually, one of the first horror movies that I well, horror movies that I ever seen was Aliens. Ah. Um, my parents were out, um, and they allowed me to sleep in the living room because, like, my 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 mother always used to fall asleep uh, in front of the TV. I was like, oh, I want to do that too. So my parents went out, was just like zapping through TV, and there was like this alien thing, and I knew I saw it somewhere on posters in the in the video rental. I was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna watch this, and then I was sitting there like with the blanket over my head, like, I hope it can't see me. <laughs> yeah. The reason I asked is because, um, I mean, Hellraiser is something I saw far too young, and one of the reasons why I always kind of had an effect on me at a young age that I can appreciate now as an as an adult is um, the sex, play, pain for pleasure aspect of things that I'd never seen in a mm-hmm. horror movie before, and I always think that's what stands out, particularly in the original Hellraiser. Then, like the sequel's kind of lost. And I wonder mm. if that was something you would notice. Actually not, because I uh, seen Hellraiser the first time when I was already an adult. I haven't seen it when I was younger. So, yeah. Though there is a good argument that Hellbound Hellraiser 2 is superior to the original. <laughs> you make yeah. that? Yeah. That, that's, what, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like the first couple of movies, I think the first three, they hold up all very well. And 
what I liked about the second one, it takes the ideas from the first one, which goes in a completely different direction. Instead of like uh, retreading the same things like being done in the first movies, uh, in the first movie. And I think, and I feel especially if you think about the Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, Elm Street movies, they basically do this. They take the same premise and you just apply it over and over and over again to mm-hmm. subsequent movies. And the Hellraiser doesn't do that. So I think that's why the first couple of movies still hold up. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. I feel most of the best horror franchises and the reason they become franchises are rooted in a great pitch. Just like, say, Nightmare on Elm Street, a guy can get you in your sleep. Or, you know, it's just something you can explain quickly that's a very primal fear to somebody that's even young that can translate when you're old, you know? No, that's fair. You, you can picture, it immediately as it says that, the guy, a guy can get in your sleep. I pictured a boardroom and a handful of people standing there and saying, that's it, that's what we've got for you. Make <laughs> our movie, there's the money, off you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Rob, what's your last one? Uh, actually, I feel I got them all out there because the ring, like I was going to actually go with, like, say, Juan as one of mine, but I kind of covered it, so. Oh, fair enough. No <laughs> yeah. worries. All right, guys, we'll talk then about what, what, the plans are going forward for Worn Out really at this stage. And I know it's early. We know a lot of things are in the air about what you can and cannot do. But surely the hope is that 2022 will be as busy as it possibly can be, right? Yeah. Um, do you want to go, Alex? Or mm, Yeah, if, 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 if you want to. Um, like, like I said, we started uh, writing some new stuff recently and going a little bit uh, in a different direction, but it still feels... Oh, that, that's at least what people said. It still feels like it's worn out, um, but it has like a new spin. We started to tune way lower recently, like switch to seven string guitars or I switched to seven string guitar. And um, I'm so sorry, Brian, I forced you to go into low tunings too. <laughs> um, we'll get over it. We'll get over it, yeah. I'm just going to fight it out tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I feel like our influences that we all have uh, are coming together now in a new way. Like we're all into Deftones. We're all into hardcore. We're all into somewhat noisy, chaotic stuff. And like the stuff that we are writing right now is really like all of this coming together. I don't say, oh, it's the best stuff that we've ever done because I I, I cannot say that. That's, that's, that's for someone else to decide. But I feel like it's going into a new direction it's kind of a little bit teased on the EP, but uh, we're taking it a step further, further away from what we've done before, while it still sounding like worn out. Yeah, like the last song we've nearly, like I suppose, fleshed out is so far my favorite song we've written. Um, like, you know, we're making the best of it that we can at the moment. It's very hard to get gigs booked and kind of plan too far forward. Yeah. I mean, try and book a few gigs and we don't know. At the end of the day, um, we have our first UK tour coming up, though. Um, so that's exciting for us. That's, some, that's somewhere we always wanted to go anyway, because Ireland, as much as we love it, there's only four or five towns or cities that can really sustain regular gigging. Yep. So, you know, you're going to play the same crowds and we love those same crowds, but it's not going to be new to them. And we just want to try ourselves out and see how it translates to people that don't know us at all or lowered inhibitions of no one knowing us where wherever we go so yeah we're playing um in the uk i won't say too much it's not announced yet but some stage over the next year 
uh, COVID allowing. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, it always comes down to COVID allowing. Um, going back to the, the music side of things, what's, um, what's your thinking now? Do you not have a plan yet? Are you thinking single releases? Are you thinking another EP? Are you thinking full-length album? We all threw all of this around, and I think for now we don't know yet for sure. Um, I feel like it, really the songs dictate what we're gonna do. Yeah. If it feels like if if it feels like okay, there's this one song that really stands out to us, but it doesn't fit like like thematically to the other stuff that we wrote, we maybe put out a single. Or if we say, let's say we have like like ten songs written, which is very unlikely but just to throw it out there we have 10 songs written and maybe just like five feel like they fit together then we do an ep but we really haven't decided on that yet um but um i wouldn't say that that it it shouldn't take years now until until we do some more stuff like we're we're in a good place right now creatively and i've already some some new ideas cooking up that i want to go get onto once we finish the song that brian's talked about and which is also my favorite song that we've done so far so uh yeah writing playing shows as much as we can as much as covid allows um yeah that that's the plan that's it i mean it's just it always has to be somewhat organic it's very hard to plan ahead the music does tell us where to go or sets the map for us so sometimes you'll write a song and then the next song you're afraid to play something too similar to the previous song and then with a month or two of separation you might go like that was the wrong bass line or wrong guitar line for that song, but it works here. So you just kind of need to look at a few songs behind you and then know what to do with them, you know. No, Our favourite song right now could be the one we end up dropping for our set eventually, for <laughs> when we prefer that's similar, you know. That would be interesting if that doesn't come around happening, considering what you both said. I mean, of course, I yeah. completely understand how this works as well. Almost trying to crowbar some information out of you, as you do with any interview and all that. However, I am not your fan base on social media in the other way what is it like or how do you how do you guys experience social media from Warnat's perspective and i'm talking about the interaction with fans the demand that you constantly put out content not necessarily new music but whether it be an instagram post or a tweet or a video behind the scenes is that something you are good at is it something you enjoy yeah i can only (laughs) sing evan's praises here like say um like and i'm not saying he loves doing it because it is almost a job, like he has his day job, but I do find any time an email from a prospective promoter or somebody sending us a nice message on Instagram or just like liking a story or a post, he replies like to the best of his abilities very quickly and he keeps up chatting to people. Um, and we're very just surprised where people come from even. We get like say somebody might message us from Australia or America and we're just more taken aback by it. Like we're in our heads, it's very hard to think outside of the practice space for us. We're shocked anybody's at our gigs sometimes, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I could just say that's it's all Evan really. Like say he's just great for engaging and kind of treats it almost like because he loves talking to people, but it definitely can be a job. Like I don't envy it. Um, yeah. My own social media, I barely post on. Yeah. You get social media? Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> I'm not terrible at it. I just definitely don't want to start doing it. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same for me. Like, I I mean, I'm on social media and I'm probably more active than you are. But if I could, I would ditch it all in a heartbeat because I think it's 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 very draining. So I always admire, admire Evan that he, like, keeps up with it. I think he's the perfect person to do this 100%. And what, what I 
actually like every, every now and then when I, when I just go into the messages and see, okay, so, so what, what went on here, people like, just like you said, people from Australia messaging us, people from, from the US and then actually buying some stuff. That's insane. So, I mean, thank, thank you to, to those people. Uh, this, this is, this is still mind blowing to me um, because we're just a small band from somewhere in the South of Ireland, you know? <laughs> You guys have earned it. So like anyone across the world that sends you a message, it's fantastic to hear, of course. It's it's the reach you want. It's so difficult because you're amongst, what, tens of thousands of bands all trying to do the same thing on, you know, um, low budgets, trying to work their own. So no one, you, you know, you guys don't have a social media manager the way Metallica does and stuff like that. <laughs> so completely, it's great that there's any reach at all. It's so difficult. Um, is Do you guys have not a solution, but basically something that everyone is looking for, which is the perfect goddamn algorithm that will work for getting your name out there among, and your head above the parapets, as it were. Persistence. Jesus. Like, say, knowing your strengths and weaknesses be a big thing. So I'm a control freak. And I think, Alex, you'd say you, you probably would be as well in, mm. in a lot of situations. But knowing where, I, I'd love to say, I'll do that. I'll do that to everything and say yes to everything. And I feel I could be good at this, but sometimes you need to just let go, trust your bandmates and kind of go, that's your department. And even if you make the odd step, I don't fully agree with, I have to understand where you're going with it. And realistically, it's just trying things after that. It's just keeping going, keeping pushing. If something doesn't work, don't have a big, you know, post-mortem afterwards and a big blame game. Just, you know, say that didn't work and move on. And that's it. Like realistically, Evan just replies to messages, chats to people, and puts puts our name out there. That's that's all he can do. And realistically, the big algorithm will take care of itself. Wonderful, wonderful words. Right, guys, records, music. The hardest part for any musician is to try and force them to just name basically not even necessarily your three best albums because replayability comes into effect here. But it always seems to turn out to effectively be your three favorite albums today, today as well, because tomorrow no yeah, day yeah. you have a different list. So who wants to get us started with music then? Um, yeah. Well, maybe maybe I started ahead, and I this is probably again something that Brian also has. Uh, I mean, this is my favorite Deftones record ever. Yeah, yeah ever. <laughs> Brian, Brian was about to, to, to pick the same. So we'll we'll like, find out what my top two are in a bit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think this is, uh, I mean, when people talk about the Deftones, they usually say stuff like White Pony is the best record or Diamond Eyes is the best record. And while I think those are absolutely like, like great, great records, um, just the songs on this, this, this is probably the heaviest, darkest day you've ever been. And I'm a sucker for heavy. I'm a sucker for hard and heavy uh, and dark. And I'm probably repeating myself because my brain goes into overload here. Um, Hexagram, best Deftone song ever. That's oh, why we really? covered it. Yeah. <laughs> my favorite on that album, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, as this is your choice as well, Brian, you can uh, throw your, your hand a ring too. Like what worked for that album for me was I owned a couple of Deftones albums already, but this was the one that really, really struck home as in like playing it every day for months. Um, I was doing my junior cert in Ireland um, and, you know, um, every band at the time, especially because it was just coming out of that new metal era and a lot of bands were starting to try and disown it. 
everyone was saying this is our heaviest album, most melodic. It was like that staple. Every interview said it. This was Deftones heaviest, but most melodic album. Mm. Um, like girls, uh, when girls telephone boys or, you know, like um, battle acts, there were tunes there that had the most hefty discordant, like the jazz chords all over it. Like the thing that Alex loves in a lot of songs is normally dissonance and kind of sense of unease and clashing between the notes. They nailed that and they nailed the idea of Chino's influences being like dream pop and things where the vocalist soars over it. So if you have something you can't really nail to in the melody, the vocals filled in almost like a synth would. Um, even the synth playing on that album, if you remove it from the songs, it's probably the strongest synth album by them as well, but it's buried in the mix in such a way, if you take it out, the songs are completely ruined. So Frank Delgado just does not get enough credit, you know? Yeah, definitely. I also feel like the guitar work in this record, um, this is the most interesting guitar work that the Deftones ever had on any record before and afterwards. Um, just like I said, the, the jazzy chords, the somewhat dissonant and discordant uh, stuff. Um, even though it's not that uh, that all over the place, um, but I think it's just like the right amount in all the songs. Yeah. It was incredibly great. developed and evolved Deftones. If you go back to the debut, Adrenaline, you know, and contrasted too, I mean, wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, like they, they found a great balance is the best way to put that album. Like um, between Chino's love of like, melodic chordal playing and that allowed Steph place to play like something more I suppose dirgy and heavy but they just meshed so well across the entire album like that was the second Deftones album to have two guitars but this is where they kind of found their stride with it so, sometimes I feel like Brian is Chino and I'm Steph ah lovely <laughs> <laughs> all right Alex then your second one yeah Hmm. Okay, I got two, and probably if if you ask me in twenty minutes, it will be completely sure. different. Yeah. Um. But one record in particular that got me into like all the mathcore stuff, all the chaotic stuff. Um. And I'm I'm a big sucker for this record, and thank God, I got it very very easily. Converge Jane Doe. Um. When I first heard the record, it was I think in two thousand two, on my first uh. Like, like my first DSL internet uh, access and I downloaded the song uh, it was called False and Fracture started and I was like this is just noise this this is terrible I fucking hate this uh, but I still keep, kept like going back to the song over and over and over again and then I it started to click for me a little bit like like the chords because probably when we talk about heaviness and uh, like inaccessibility that's probably the most inaccessible record to get into mm. from this band. Uh, but once you're in, you're in for life. You know, some some great songs, Thoughts and Fractures, uh, Thaw, Concubine, like, what the hell? Well, what, what kind of record opener is this? Just some, some like guitar slapping and blast beats and frenetic screaming over it. And you're just sitting there thinking, is he actually like, like screaming words or is this just like a dog barking? And yeah. Good choice. Brian, you up? Um, yes, yeah, so I suppose if we're going to stick to, because I was thinking of Desert Islands, I had to think about like getting a mesh of like kind of light and heavy and, and all of that. Uh, if he's going for his heavy abrasive one, I'll just go next with that. Uh, Botch. <laughs> oh, there you go. Uh, we Are the Romans by Botch. Like just for me, that was, wasn't the first math chord I ever heard. Like say I first got into like Dillinger Escape Plan, I suppose, mm. before that. 
Um, but Botch were like to me when that when I first heard that album, it felt like my album. I think everyone's got that that album. Like I didn't know anybody else that did once mentioned Botch. I'd never heard of it from yeah. anyone else. Um, I mean, even Brian Cook, like he was in These Arms Are Snakes, one of my favorite post-hardcore bands, he's in Russian Circles, one of my favorite instrumental bands. But this one album just blended like everything I love in like heavy music. Um, when it, to me it's done right, like dynamics, light and heavy melody versus like absolute messed up chaos. Um, and it's just a really cohesively great album where they take a lot of risks artistically as well. Like Gregorian chants with monks for like about a solid two or three minutes. Um, some of the best riffs ever in my head and fun to just listen to. It's just, it's weird, but fun. And it's challenging, but fun. And it's very replayable. Yeah. Why is it then, you said it already, but why is it that when people talk about Mathcore, Botch is not a name that comes up? At all, really? Mm. I, I, I think I would disagree, actually, a little bit. I feel like um, last five, five to ten years, there have been a resurgence yeah. on like people really acknowledging Botch as one of the of the first mathcore bands, like Botch, Converge, Dillinger, hmm. and I mean, just just all the Botch stuff now gets re-released. That's actually like, like a big sign that there is some some acknowledgement. Hey, this band is really groundbreaking. Yeah, it's, it's a strange, I suppose maybe just timing was everything because they didn't have a super long lifespan. They only had two, I suppose, full albums. And their last EP, which is actually one of my favorite things to put out, was a mishmash of different styles. Um, but I suppose it was a very American thing and a very touring band thing. But they were just, they split up just before the internet really became a foreign board place. And you had quite as many people blogging or putting out tunes. So I think maybe just timing killed them there because if Converge had quit after Jane Doe the same could have happened to them for all yeah. Oh, yeah. no that's fair that's fair okay last one then Alex yeah so uh, in the last couple of years I really got into extreme metal so extreme death metal um, and I'm talking about like super technical uh, stuff. well it is technical but not not like the super brutal super technical stuff but if it's dissonant if it's uh, very unpleasant to listen to if it's borderline unlistenable, I like it. And the band that broke this to me uh, is actually a band that comes came from a mathcore background and evolved more into a metal band. Uh, this is War from a Harlot's Mouth. And this record, MMX, is where they first introduced like low-tuned guitars and started to basically be a metal band and not really a mathcore band anymore. And um, when this came out, like, the same lie like with Converge, it was like, nah, I don't like it. That's that's not my thing. That's too much of everything. But like, and I mean, this record is now 11 years old, 11 years later, I feel like this is where I am at home. And you can hear this influence like all over everything I'm doing. Uh, if it's a worn out, if it's something else, uh, all the super dissonant chords, just like, not, not just like the standard dissonant chords that the most bands use, which is okay, don't get me wrong, not, 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 not smashing on this whatsoever. Um, but it's, for me, those band, bands really excite me the most nowadays because they're just so unrelentless. You, 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 quite, you were quite okay then with the evolution or the change up in sound or the development into being a more of a metal band rather moving yeah. away from the math core. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say I developed myself from coming more of a first new metal then going into 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 the math core stuff and then just evolving into 
nowadays listening to mostly extreme metal. Okay, okay. Brian, your last one then. Um, the last one's always the toughest because that's the part where you leave out everything. Um, <laughs> I suppose I'm torn between two camps because I kind of love a bit of like electronic music as much as, you know, kind of heavy music. Oh. So my last choice would have to be something like Desert Island that fills in like dynamics and something where it's got a lot of melody and a lot of strange textures and ideas. I was going to go with Mogwai, Mr. Beast. Um, wow. That was just, for me, a, an amazing album, just kind of like, I, I love my post-rock, post-metal and all of that. Um, but I changed my mind just now while he was talking. Uh, Radiohead Kid A. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, that's a good one. I love this record. Like, just the idea, like, that's the album that gets my Radiohead buzz tickled, but, like, it get, has elements of, you can see where they were starting to get into textures, like, say, right. Ariel, Fortet. Look what I got here now. The Amnesia. I'm yeah. sure you to check out the, the blend of how, yeah, how they did that one. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a triple yeah. vinyl thing. I just bought it, like, a month ago. Triple vinyl <laughs> just annoy me. Um, oh, yeah. Constantly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, to say a lot of my favorite electronic, like, things, like, I find it's very hard to kind of say you've got a favorite thing because they're essentially textures and moods. So you can't really just go, I've got a favorite or one of Brings You to Desert Islands. You could like Apex Twin, you could like Amon Tobin, Burial Fortet, Boards of Canada, and he dates next, but you wouldn't be able to pick. So at least Kid A scratches some of those, which is funny. I feel like that kind of works with Right Ahead overall, doesn't it, really, on this mood? And it's always about how you're feeling at the time, whether or not you're going to particularly enjoy either a record, complete record, or a particular song. Yeah. And that's it, like, say, we were talking earlier about trying to capture a mood, but, like, you know, the heaviest music sometimes, Scott Kelly's Neurosis stuff, like, um, acoustically, is just heavy. It's dirty. Emma Ruth Rundle's heavy. There's many kinds of heavy, and sometimes Tom York just one little lyric he puts out, and you're just like, yeah, he feels that. That's heavier than somebody tuning to drop his head and yeah. <laughs> pulling stage moves, you know? Yeah. Fair enough. As I said, we said at the start, if I asked you again tomorrow, I'm sure you'd have three completely different ones each. 100%. Yeah, I'm schizophrenic that way. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys, last word on Worn Out. And it's simply this. From talking to you across this past over an hour, um, the future seems very exciting. We have had an exciting release in Waste. And while the dust has settled on that, still go listen to it. People, if you haven't had a chance, please do check it out. It is an amazing, amazing EP. I'm excited for the future of One Out. You guys seem as excited, uh, very excited too. Should we all be super excited? 1,000%, of course. <laughs> I would say, like, keep, keep an eye out on our social medias. Uh, we have a couple of things to announce in the, in the coming weeks. So, uh, yeah, just watch us everywhere. Instagram, Facebook, maybe YouTube. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> probably, I mean, probably. If you haven't done it, someone else will have done it. <laughs> Evan, Evan, Evan probably does it. I can Thanks, hear him Evan. killing us now for forgetting something we're meant to say or else yeah. saying something we shouldn't have had said already. Um, oh, are you on TikTok? <laughs> Thank no, God, no. <laughs> that'll never be us. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we're millennials. Think, uh, we're no Zoomers, so. Judging by the fact you've probably got an editing job ahead for how long we've made this for you, uh, TikTok's format doesn't suit us. <laughs> no, this is wonderful, guys, because we haven't had many interruptions. We are about yeah. to bring it to the end, and I did tell you at the start there was one extra nomination that we don't tell anyone about beforehand. It's one each, mm. simply this. It's something you can bring with you that you think you cannot live without. Oof. Hey, Brian, we need to split this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the gaming rig and the guitar is going to get us pretty much, that's just our houses. 
<laughs> that's true uh i was actually more thinking one of us brings the brings the computer one of us brings the guitar i forgot uh, do we have wi-fi in the island though yeah I, yeah we, we don't yeah, need wi-fi yeah, we, we have logic you have everything we've had this question so many times we just gave up and said oh. yeah fine wi-fi you name it it's all there yeah, well we can cop out then in that case i mean say we've already got the movies games like we'll need something to play them on so definitely a computer yeah <laughs> the internet sorted and then a, a guitar and that's our recording setup yeah and you know super yeah. relaxed guys that's it. thank you so much for taking the time to do this thank you, thank for you so much for having us thank you very much for watching you can check us out on gbhbell.com as well as on facebook instagram twitter and tumblr Go to Patreon to help us out over there. That's patreon.com forward slash GBHBL as well as Big Cartel where you can find some of our merchandise. We have a podcast running on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. And of course, if you like this video, do us a favor, hit the subscribe button and help the channel grow. Games, horror and heavy metal. What else is life for? <laughs>